soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to span to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasures in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Come, Carl. Come. Let me pray for Carl as he brings a message to us this morning. A very, very important message as we get going with uh, this series. Uh, Father, we thank you for your servant, Carl. We thank you for the things that you've done in his life. We thank you that at a very early age he realised his sin, Father, and came to you. Lord God, that you would uh, make his words clear and that your spirit might speak to us uh, this morning, uh, through the power of your word, Lord God, that we might be changed to become more like Jesus. We pray this now in his name. Amen. Well, as a Christian counsellor and as a doctor, I see a lot of anxious people. And one thing I realised fairly early on in my work was that there are a lot of anxious people in the church as well. And uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg, I think. I think I just saw the the more difficult cases, I'm sure that most of us know what it's like to be anxious and, and find ourselves troubling, troubled with that. Uh, anxiety is universal. And as much as we try and convince ourselves that we're going to be okay and we're in control of our lives and we can work it out, we know that things can go very badly wrong in our lives, that we're not in control of things as we would like to think. We're at the mercy of other people, we're at the mercy of circumstances around us that we cannot control, events that we cannot influence. Uh, things can be done to us that we have no say in. We can be assaulted. Someone can steal what belongs to us. If you're in a workplace, you can have co-workers who scheme against you and uh, make things difficult for you. And we know that even if things do seem to go well for us, some things are still inevitable. The sickness, uh, ill health, ultimately death, Family conflict is a given in life. It's always going to happen to us. At various stages of our lives, there'll be things like economic downturns and we might be subject to redundancies. A whole lot of things happen to us that it would be surprising if we didn't worry about them and didn't think that they could happen to us and lead us feeling 
anxious. This morning I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? What things make you anxious? And I want you to think about those things as we look at this particular passage of Scripture where Jesus says many, many things, most of them which touch upon anxiety. I want you to think about the thing that you're anxious about. Ask yourself, is it something that controls you? Does it influence strongly the decisions that you make, the things that you say and do, or the things that you don't say or that you don't do because you're anxious? Do you experience physical symptoms? Does your body tell you that you're anxious at times, even though you might deny that you're anxious? And I've certainly seen people do that who say, I'm not worried, I'm not worried, while they're having a panic attack right in front of me. Um, does your body tell you? you know, biting your nails, feeling a bit short of breath, fluttery in the chest, uh, all those sorts of things that can happen when you're anxious. Do you know what it's like to feel anxious in your body? Well, God has a lot of things to say about worry and fear. And he says a lot of things that we won't get anywhere else. It gives us a way of looking at our lives that is very different to what's in the world around us. Things that are very true and very helpful for us. And today I'm just going to focus on these, this group of Jesus' teachings from, from Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at the passage closely and draw out many points that are relevant to anxiety. And then for the last few minutes or so, we'll just reflect upon what some of those things might mean for a Christian who has a diagnosed anxiety disorder. So let's look at the passage closely, Luke chapter 12 from verse 4. And the first thing I want to say here is that we're not anxious enough. We don't worry enough. We don't fear the right things. In our anxiety, we direct our anxiety in all the wrong places. Jesus talks about temporary harm and physical death, and they are obviously fearful things. They are things to be worried about. But they're nothing compared to facing God with the guilt of our sins. The fact that we will die, that people might do bad things to us, is nothing compared to having to face a holy God as we are with our sins. And so Jesus says very clearly that rather than fear people, we should fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord is a biblical idea. It's a New Testament idea, not just an Old Testament idea. Having a right fear of God is good for us. It puts life in perspective. Without the cross, we have plenty of reason to be afraid. We have the biggest reason to be afraid. If we did not have the cross of Christ with our sins removed, our guilt taken away, forgiveness and justification, if we didn't have that, we would have the greatest reason to be afraid because whatever happens in this life, we know there would be worse to come. Jesus says, don't be afraid of what people can do to you. Instead, fear the Lord. In our anxieties, we get this all messed up. We, we put our anxieties in the wrong direction. Imagine yourself driving down a winding country road. And you know winding country roads are dangerous places. Most road deaths occur in the country and they tend to occur in single vehicle accidents on winding country roads, the sort of ones I drive on all the time. But you're driving down the road and you're looking at your phone and you're wanting to touch it and look at a few things on there. Maybe someone's texted you, you want to see what they've said. And so you're swerving around and you hit the gravel a few times and you go over the white line in the middle a few times. You go back and forth. You're not particularly worried, but you should be. You should be worried. It's very dangerous. And then a little daddy long legs comes out from under the corner of the dash. And all of a sudden, ah, you're worried. Totally, totally distorted, totally messed up. 
The thing you should be worried about doesn't trouble you. In fact, you keep on doing it. You don't do it on Eastlink because you know there's cameras that might, might catch you and you'll be fined. But on the country road, no one's watching. doesn't matter if you die, but you can do what you want. But there's daddy long legs, which apparently is very venomous, but cannot get the venom into you because its fangs are useless for piercing human skin. Uh, we, we get our anxieties all messed up. Jesus makes that point in the most serious and biggest of ways, but it's also true in smaller ways as well, that we direct our anxieties in the wrong place. It's important that we inform ourselves accurately about the things that we're afraid of and worry about the things that actually matter and not the things that don't matter. The fear of death holds the world captive. It's a cause of anxiety for many people. They might not acknowledge it, but the scriptures say that we've been held captive by the fear of death. We, of all people, should be free of that and have reason to, to be calm and relaxed about the most serious things. Because we are not any longer enemies of God. Perhaps more importantly, God is not our enemy. God is no longer against us. And Jesus makes that very clear in the next passage of teaching here. God is for us. God loves us. And he has a concern for all of his creation. He made a creation that he's interested in. You make things. You're interested in what you make. God made the world. He's interested in the world that he made but he's especially interested in you. The people that he made are what's most important to him. Look in verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. God cares for you. You're valuable to God. He knows the fine details of your life. Some of them, for most of us, they're perhaps amazing. How many, how many hairs do you have on your head? I don't know. That's, if you get down to none, that's fairly easy to work out. But God knows the details of your life, even the ones that don't matter that much, with hairs of your head. Uh, you are valuable to God. And that's, that's proven in the cross. Jesus has just said that we should fear facing God but we don't need to fear anymore because of the cross of Christ. We have been forgiven. God's love for us has been proven to us. We are of more value than many sparrows. We are sufficiently valuable to God, loved enough by him that he would even give up his own son for us. I'm not saying we were worthy but we were valuable to him. We were important to him because he loves us. And he cares for us. That, that's an amazing power when you realise that the creator of the universe, the one who made all things, is for us. He uses his power and his strength, his wisdom, for our good. He numbers the hairs of our head. We are more valued than many sparrows. Well, sometimes scripture gives us unusual ways of looking at a problem. And anxiety is one of those. Uh, if you're looking for help in the world, one of the ways that people will try and help you is to help you see that the thing that you are afraid of is not likely to happen. If you look at it rationally, you can see this particular thing is not going to happen to me. So if you hear a siren and you're afraid, uh, it, it's probably not your house that's on fire. Could be somebody else's house, not, but it's not likely to be your house. So don't worry when you hear a, 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 a siren going off. Uh, 
live in an area that's perhaps, perhaps like here, where on a, on a 40 degree day and the sirens are going off, you've got reason to be afraid perhaps. But you can rationalise some of those fears. Well, Scripture does something quite different. Scripture says, basically, bad things will happen. There will be times that are going to happen to you that would normally cause you to be afraid. Trouble is going to come. The difference is that God will be with you to help you when that trouble comes. Trouble will come. The Bible is realistic. God speaks to us truthfully. Trouble's going to come, but God will be with you when it happens. And not just with you, but with you to help you when it happens. In fact, Jesus promised trouble, didn't he? He said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good courage, I've overcome the world. You will have trouble. Trying to reason away the, the reality of the, the possibility of trouble doesn't really work because we know it's not true. We know that bad things are going to happen. Now, some of them, not all the ones that we imagine are going to happen, but some of them are going to happen. And the Bible is realistic about that. And so Jesus addresses a particular sort of trouble that we fear and says that God will be with us. In verse 11, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you need to say. Now, if we're realistic, we will say, yes, we're afraid. We're afraid of persecution. Isn't that one of the great reasons that we don't evangelise as much as we could? We're afraid of what people will say or do or how it will affect our friendships. Uh, Jesus addresses an even more scary situation. You might be dragged before the courts, the religious leaders, the secular courts. They might do bad things to you because you are a Christian. Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, that won't happen. I'll make sure that doesn't happen to you. He says, when it happens, when it happens, because it's going to happen, when it happens, don't be anxious about how you'll defend yourself or what you should say. God will be with you. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say. Now, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? We worry because we can't imagine what it's like to have God with us when we go through the things that we're worried about. But the message that God gives us is very clear, that when we are in difficulty, God is always with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's always with us in every situation. And the thing that we fear turns out to be not as fearsome as we thought in the first place when we imagined it because of God's grace and presence with us in the very hour. And certainly for the disciples and the, those that followed, this was a reality. Stephen um, being stoned, you remember in, in Acts, preached an amazing message. Uh, I don't know how he got it all together, but he preached an amazing message before the religious leaders. And at the end of it, as they're throwing stones at him, trying to kill him and eventually succeeding, he actually sees the Lord welcoming him into heaven. He has a vision of God. I mean, God was there with him in a way that, you probably didn't anticipate. And there are ways that God will be with us in our troubles in ways that we don't anticipate. And it's often our story. When we've gone through difficulty, I would never choose to go through that, but I know that God was with me through it and God supported me through it um, in our spirit directly, through the, the encouragement and help of others, through their prayers, through his word in strengthening us. God is with us in our troubles. Well, we know that anxiety is universal. And we know also, when we think about it, that false solutions 
are also universal. We often find our security in things that can't help us. We try and push off our anxieties on the basis of things that aren't really that reliable or trustworthy. And we see that in that story that Jesus teaches about the parable of the rich fool. He thought he was right. He thought he had things sorted out. He had the retirement savings all sorted. A combination of his super and the pension and owning his own house, he was right for the next few decades. He thought he had nothing to be troubled or worried about. He put his confidence in those things. He succeeded in the great Australian dream of being a self-funded retiree, or at least a well-funded retiree. And so he thought he was safe. He didn't have to worry anymore. But he could kick back and enjoy life. But it all goes. It all goes in one day. And he goes to face the Lord. He loses everything. He felt secure because of the stuff that he had, because of the size of his bank account. But it was useless at protecting him against the things that he should have been anxious about. We place our trust in the wrong things. We do place our trust in money. We do place our trust in people, thinking that the people that we have around us, they will be our strength and our support. But all those things can be gone. It is not safe to place our trust in things like money or people. We get anxious because we think that we are responsible for our own security. We think it's up to us to make sure everything happens as it should, that we have everything that we need. We have to provide for ourselves. And certainly the scriptures encourage us to be diligent in the work that we do. But the scriptures never encourage us to be worried about whether we will have the things that we need. We worry about the things that we need in our lives and we don't need to worry about them. We worry even about the luxuries of life as well. So we get anxious about our jobs. We get anxious about house prices, our debts. If you're facing retirement, how much money you've got put away. We worry about all these things, the little things and the big things. In fact, we can even get devoted to these things. We can set our hearts on them. We can set our hearts on what we're going to eat and drink like the Gentiles do. And we can basically dedicate ourselves to having an enjoyable, wonderful feeling life. And Jesus gives us a very simple message. He says, a bit like he does with the sparrows, God provides for the world that he's made. God provides. It's evident. Just look around you. The general thing is God provides for the ravens. He provides for the flowers in the field. And he doesn't just provide When it comes to the flowers, he makes them amazing to look at. That's one of my loves, as you know, gardening. And I like things down to the smallest detail, including the flowers. Jesus is talking about the flowers that, not just these big gaudy flowers that we might see in in Bunnings, but he's talking about delicate little things, little lilies that when you look at them closely have amazing patterns on them. He says they're just made because God likes them and they beautify the fields and they're gone the next day. Again, though, you are of... You're more valuable than all this. If God, these things matter more. These things don't matter as much to God as you do. And so you don't need to worry about whether you have enough food or whether you have your clothing because you have a Father in heaven. Your Father knows what you need. He knows that you need these things. He knows you need your food, your clothing. And he'll give them to you because 
you have a father. You have a father in heaven who cares for you. He's more a father to you than he is to the ravens or the lilies. They don't have a relationship, but he has a relationship with you. You're his child, he's your father, and he'll provide for you. We're not orphans, we're part of his family. There was a time when we had reason to be afraid. There was a time when God was not our father. He was our creator, our maker, but we weren't on the same team. We certainly weren't part of his family until he adopted us into his family through the blood of his cross, through redeeming us through the cross. That's how we come into God's family. And that relationship is the basis for Jesus' teaching here. You have a father in heaven. You are part of God's family now. In fact, Jesus could have equally have said, you're my brothers and sisters and we belong together. God will provide for you. In any case, as we worry about these things, we need to remember that these aren't actually the most important things that there are. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. I don't know how that's reassuring to you, Perhaps it is when you think about it. Life is more than food and clothing. Life, life is about knowing who you belong to, to knowing where you're going. We have this habit in Australia of thinking about the next few weeks, months, maybe thinking of retirement, and we don't really think of what goes on 10 years beyond retirement. Uh, we, we plan for being 70. We don't plan for being 120. We're not going to live to 120, but we'll be alive in 120 years. Why don't we plan for that a lot more? Life is more than food and clothing. Uh, it matters whether we know our Father in heaven or not. Jesus points out many things about anxiety here. One of the things he shows very clearly is just the futility of anxiety, just how, how useless it is to worry this over-worry. There's a sort of concern for things which is appropriate, but Jesus is talking about over-worry, being anxious, it's basically a waste of time and energy. It can't even gain you an hour of life. As you, if you, you know, if you think about it, probably it shortens your life. Being anxious probably shortens life rather than extending it. That's certainly my opinion from a medical point of view. Anxiety is not a good thing for your health, but it certainly doesn't lengthen life. Having a right concern for things might mean you get a checkup now and then to make sure you're not missing something important. It might mean that you attend to making sure you've got something to eat. But over-worry, this anxiety that Jesus is talking about here is completely futile. doesn't matter how much we worry, we will still die. We will still face the Lord after we die. And anxiety is not what helps us in this. No amount of worry solves a problem between us and God. No amount of worry makes, us his, makes, him, his, uh, makes him our father. It's not worry that helps us. What helps us is God's grace shown to us in the cross. It's again, it's the relationship that God initiates with us by sending his son to die for us, giving himself up for us, and ultimately giving us all things, as we'll see shortly. That's what makes us safe, not our anxiety. It's God's love and his relationship to us that makes us safe. So Jesus can give us some very counterintuitive advice for how to live. This is the opposite of what you'd say if you were looking at life from a horizontal perspective, from the here and now perspective. If you were looking at life from the here and now, you'd just say, work really hard, do the best you can, save up, ensure that you're good friends, and then you'll be okay 
And if in some cultures have lots of children, they'll look after you when you're old. There's all sorts of ways we might try and do it, but Jesus doesn't say any of that. Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom. Pursue God's kingdom. Seek the things that God wants. Do that, and everything else falls into place. How? Because he's your father. Because you're seeking the kingdom of the father who actually is the one who provides for you. You don't provide for yourself ultimately. You don't even secure things for yourself. Security is an illusion if it's provided by ourselves. We cannot depend on ourselves. We know that we are weak and frail, but our father in heaven is not weak and frail. And we seek his kingdom and then we have everything that we need. It's the way that life works. You put love for God first. You put worship of God first, serving him first, and everything else falls into place. Jesus says, and he says it to all of us, God will provide for your needs when you seek the kingdom first. It's not pursue your needs first. It's not do what you need for your life and then if you've got some time or money left over for God, give some of that to him. It's pursue God's kingdom first. Everything else that we need falls into place. In fact, seeking our needs first, our food and our clothing and our housing, all those sorts of things, doing that first is a recipe for anxiety because very few of us, if any of us, will ever get to the point where we think there is enough to be secure. And if we analyse it closely enough, we'll realise that even what we think is secure is just an illusion. Seeking one's security first is, is not the way to deal with anxiety. The way to deal with it is to pursue God's kingdom first, knowing that he's promised to provide for us. Not only that, when we seek God's kingdom first, and that's what captures us most in our hearts, then we know that what we're seeking cannot be taken away. It cannot be destroyed or removed from us. What we are investing our energies in, the kingdom of God, the relationships with these people that we have, that doesn't get taken away. That is, that lasts forever. And finally, finally from the passage, before we reflect upon what all this means for someone with an anxiety disorder, finally from the passage, we get anxious primarily, I think, because we forget just how generous our Father in heaven is. We forget how good he is to us. We forget how much he promises to us and as a result, we become anxious. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your father is well pleased to give you the kingdom. Let that bounce around for a while in your head. Meditate upon that for a while and you see things very differently. God our Father is pleased to give us his kingdom. He's pleased to give us everything is what he's saying here. Pleased to give us everything. This is <clears throat> the best news for the warrior who's a believer. This is the best news. This means that the things that we could be anxious about, that we anxiously pursue, we don't need to worry about because God is already pleased, well pleased to give those things that we need to us. We have a Father in heaven who loves us, who is pleased, even delighted. There's another way of translating this word. Delighted or pleased to give us everything. Not only what you need, but ultimately his whole kingdom. 
That's what he's going to give us. Anxious Christians, in my experience, typically forget just how much God loves them. And they forget just how much he has promised to them. Sometimes they think that it's like God has reluctantly let me into heaven. You know, I'm a child of God because he had to let me in, because I prayed a prayer and I came to Christ, so he has to let me in. We forget that he does it because he wants to. He welcomes us into his kingdom because he wants to, because he loves us, because he wants to give us everything that he has. His whole kingdom is his plan for us. We look at ourselves and say, look, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really weak. I'm a failure. Um, I just don't measure up. I, I'm not very gifted. I, I still sin. How could God be nice to me? How could he be generous to me? And so we go around thinking that God's going to withhold himself from us because of our weaknesses. But Jesus knows who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples and others. He knows they're weak. He knows they're sinful. He knows they're going to fail. And he still says, don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Perhaps not the case for a church this size. Some people, they, they, they find themselves on their own in their faith. And there's no one else around them. They think, you know, how could God love me? I'm just this insignificant person in this world full of people. Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock. You're a small group. There's not many of you. But don't be afraid. Your father is going to give you the kingdom because he wants to. He really, really wants to. It's just like in Zephaniah 3, where Zephaniah talks of the, the great love and delight that God takes in his people. And I think we don't remember this enough. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they'll say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. This is the part I want you to notice. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Let the, let the love of God and his delight in being generous to us bounce around inside your heart for a while and that gives you a different attitude to the things that we're afraid of. Fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom this is the ultimate reason to not be afraid because God promises us everything. We inherit everything with Jesus, our older brother. And, and if he's happy to do this, we, we don't have major reason to be afraid anymore. God's kingdom that he's going to give us isn't destroyed by the things that we're afraid of. It goes on. It gets better. Our involvement in it only increases. It doesn't diminish. And along the way, as we seek this kingdom, he's promised to provide for our needs. The cross is the greatest demonstration for us of the reality that God is for us, that he won't withhold from us now what we need. Paul makes it clear in Romans 8 that we read as well. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Having given us his own son, Paul's saying, 
Won't he give us everything, all things? He will give us all things graciously. He's already given us his son. What else? Everything else is small. After he's given us his son, everything else is small. The things that we need, they are trivial compared to giving us his son. This is looking at it from God's perspective. Having given us his son, won't he give us all things? That's what an anxious person needs to dwell upon and think upon, to meditate upon, take it inside and, and realise, if God's given me Jesus, why is he going to withhold the little things that I need in life? And the obvious answer is he, he won't withhold. We are fully welcomed by him. Our guilt's removed. There is no barrier between us and God any longer through the cross. And so we have the promise of all things. That doesn't mean bad things won't happen. In fact, in the Romans passage, Paul goes on to talk about things like hardship and famine and persecution and war and nakedness and sword and a whole lot of disasters that could happen to us. But in all those things, God is there with us. We are not separated from the love of Christ through any of those circumstances. And ultimately, we will be with him, inheriting all things, as Paul says. So let's spend a few minutes just reflecting on what this might mean for a Christian who is very anxious, maybe even diagnosed uh, with an anxiety disorder. What, what difference does all this make? What difference perhaps does all the scripture make if we were to spend 10 hours, 20 hours looking at some more things that scripture teaches on anxiety? What, what difference does it all make? Well, it does move you towards peace. It moves you in the direction of being more peaceful. That might happen quickly, and some of you might be finding yourself a little bit less anxious than before, but it might happen very slowly as well. Certainly, we're not saying anything, everything that could be said today. Uh, we could preach for 20, 40 hours on anxiety from Scripture and not have exhausted the depths of God's Word there. And certainly when I talk to people, I might meet with them five times or ten times or 50 times as we talk around the things that they're anxious around, anxious about and, and what... What, what would be helpful for them. This sort of passage helps feed our faith. It helps us move from being of little faith, like the disciples were, to being of a bit bigger faith than before. As we know our Father more and more, and we are more realistic about the life that we live in, because God's word tells us the truth about our lives, we find ourselves strengthened in our faith. As we come to know God and trust him more, we find ourselves less anxious. We might find ourselves challenged to say to the Lord, yes, I am of little faith. I struggle to believe. Um, we might want to pray the prayer that one man prayed that when Jesus asked him about his sick child. You know, I do believe, Lord, help my unbelief. The anxious person needs to be honest enough sometimes to say maybe there is a degree of unbelief in my heart. Lord, help my unbelief. I've heard people sometimes criticise the scriptures and say, you know, that scripture, that's just, just words on a page, doesn't mean a thing to me. I say, well, maybe the problem isn't in the God who wrote those words, maybe the problem's in the reception of those words. Or maybe you've misunderstood them, that's another possibility. But just think, do I need more faith? Do I need to understand God's word better? Pray for those things. Are you willing to see that maybe you have trusted in people or you've trusted in stuff that you have, your security that you can build up for yourself. 
Maybe you need to grow in trusting the Lord instead of the things that you've organised for yourself in this life. But this sort of passage, as with others, does move us towards being able to trust the Lord more and more. That he will be with us in whatever trouble, even persecution, he'll be with us and give us what we need in those situations. But I wouldn't want you to assume that just hearing this or hearing 20 such messages is going to fix every part of anxiety. It doesn't work that way. Life isn't like that. But it will move you in the direction of it. Even if you become a peaceful person, it doesn't remove every trouble in life. Now, there is a right sort of anxiety. Not this over-worry that Jesus is talking about here, but there's a right sort of anxiety. When bad things are going to happen, we're right to be concerned about them. Jesus was not unmoved going to the cross. He wasn't some, he had, it wasn't he had no emotions as he faced the cross. He knew what was coming up and he felt it in advance. The anxious person sometimes confuses a realistic fear of something of what it might be like to go through it with just being anxious uh, for all sorts of things without warrant. We will still groan inwardly, as Paul says in, in Romans 8. We will still be in sorrow and anguish as we look at family members and friends and others who don't know the Lord, that will still distress us. There will still be things to be concerned about, but we won't be over-anxious to that sort of anxiety that Jesus says we don't need to have. And just hearing the word doesn't change us instantly all the time. There will be many things that we need to do battle with. You'll need to battle with some rogue thoughts. Rogue thoughts that tell you that you know, God doesn't, God's not really real or he doesn't really mean this or it doesn't apply to me or God's love for me doesn't apply because I've been a bad person. All sorts of things that we tell ourselves that are not true that help us to, be, to remain anxious. We tell ourselves that God's not good. We tell ourselves when things are going bad that we're alone. There's no one to help us. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And what about people who experience panic attacks? Does just hearing this fix them? Well, occasionally, occasionally hearing just a few things on anxiety does. But most of the time it doesn't, in my experience. Most of the time, a person who gets panic attacks is on a fairly long course to, to making progress with them and getting to the point where they're in the past, largely, or even completely in the past. Um, certainly if you're having a panic attack, reading Luke 12 probably won't change a panic attack at the time. When the body is so stirred up, it needs a physical treatment, some sort of distraction, going for a walk, maybe even medication at the time perhaps, um, to, to settle things down. But to deal with the anxiety that's undergirding that, the anxious approach to life that's always there, passage like this and so much, so much else of scripture once it starts to be absorbed inside, meditated upon, taken in, that changes the anxiety condition substantially. Some people, I think, they get anxious just because they get busy. They're not actually worried about the future so much as just so busy, their body gets revved up and they find themselves feeling anxious. That sort of anxiety won't respond directly to this passage, but indirectly it might, because what drives the busyness? What drives somebody to be overly busy in their life? And sometimes it is, I'm not sure God's going to look after me, so I've got to look after myself. 
sometimes a more peaceful approach to life like Jesus is talking about here will help someone to be less busy and therefore less anxious. God is for us. That's the basic message of this passage. God is for us and he is generously for us. We believe that. That's our official theology, I think. Probably some statement in your church somewhere says God is for you. Um, Some up there seems to say God is for us. We believe it, but Lord, help our unbelief. What I suggest is that you meditate on this passage. If you're an anxious person, meditate on this passage again and again and again. Ask God to help it sink in. If you'd actually believe what Jesus says to you. What Jesus says is amazing truth. Don't be anxious. God provides for you. Your needs will be met. Seek first his kingdom. Everything else you need falls into place. Don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's what we need to meditate upon. Let's pray. Father, we pray that these words of Jesus would sink deep into our hearts, that your spirit would teach us. May we be people who are not anxious, who can trust you as our Father, knowing that you care for us and will provide. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.